people in a culture that emphasizes individuality and encourages us to think about our own comforts and preferences, the church should stand out. We have been told to lay aside our own preferences and to look out for the eternal good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where we are headed today in the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And as always, we invite you to join us at our website, Radical.net, where you can find thousands of gospel-centered, nations-minded resources. But in today's message from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, David Platt and fellow pastor Mike Kelsey at McLean Bible Church here in the Washington, D.C. metro area will point us to the various ways that Scripture encourages us to look out for and encourage one another in the church. Listen, we were never meant to live the Christian life alone. So here's Pastor David and Pastor Mike continuing their series from Surviving to Thriving. And today they'll be examining how to do that as a church. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, I want to invite you to open with us to Hebrews chapter 10. So let me start by saying it's really good to be back. I am so thankful for Mike filling in on short notice a couple weeks ago when I found out I had COVID. Um, I'm just grateful for Mike on so many different levels. We're actually going to tag team together today because we want to talk together about the church and how being in the church is absolutely critical if any one of us wants to thrive in our lives. Let me say that one more time because it's a bold statement. Our community together in the church, being together as the church is absolutely critical for any one of us to thrive in our lives. Let me illustrate this a couple ways. First, in light of my last couple weeks with COVID, again, my symptoms were very minor, just cold, congestion, headaches, that loss of taste and smell. I pray all the more now for those who have experienced far worse symptoms and who've seen even over recent weeks family members, friends, church members uh, lose their lives to COVID. But one of the things that was most jarring to me was the isolation. So being in a room alone, not able to be around others, having to stay distant from others, not able to hug my wife or play with my kids. And it was a clear reminder to me that none of us can thrive or is made to thrive in isolation. We're not made that way. We've been created by God to thrive in community with others. This is hardwired into us. And it's not just us. It's interesting. So we've been using this illustration of these two lemon trees. And I've got to uh, say this, because I was sitting there last week as Mike was preaching and, and using these lemon trees example and talking about those who have, have gotten on to us a bit for letting a, a lemon tree die. Um, and he made a promise to revive this lemon tree. And I just wanna be clear, that's not a promise I would have made. So what that means is this lemon tree is going home with Mike 
at the end of this series. It's going to be in your corner, bro, and uh, your little corner in your house, and, and I'm just going to let you be faithful to that promise that you made, but I want to make it clear I didn't make that promise. So, uh, so in, my, in my newfound expertise in lemon trees, I have uh, discovered all kinds of interesting things. So as a reminder, just in case you're joining in, like this tree over here, we are exposing the sunlight and water, just simple things that God has designed for a tree like this to thrive. And we are depriving this tree of those same simple things. And you see the difference. So this is what we're talking about, like thriving one of the things I found in my, my newfound expertise in lemon trees is that these buds that are on a lemon tree can actually help one another flourish. So this happens naturally. I'm going to speed up the process a little bit with this little brush here. But if you take one of these buds from right here and you just take that and put it on another bud over here. Oh, no, that one just fell off. That kind of... <laughs> Missed the whole point. Breaking down. So, uh, well, anyway, if you imagine that didn't just happen, uh, maybe there's a parallel, like with the brush, you shouldn't. Anyway, just let it happen naturally. What happens is this will travel over here, and they actually help each other flourish. Forget the trees. The point is, I think if the illustration had worked, it would be a really powerful picture of how in the church, this is actually how God has designed for each of us to thrive. The whole picture I want you to see is that God has designed my flourishing in faith to help you flourish in faith. And God has designed your flourishing in faith to help me flourish in faith. We're actually intended to help each other grow and According to the way God works in the church, this is what happens. Mike? Yeah, and that's exactly what, what God has done in my life. And I just want to say for the record, God has used this church, the leaders, the members of this church, not just to uh, shape and strengthen my ministry, uh, but really to shape me. Uh, and uh, unlike our broken illustration, the church has not been used to destroy me. It has been used to build me up and uh, to, to cause me to thrive. So I think in very specific ways, uh, even as a pastor in our church, I think about Dave Young, who uh, really was just so fundamental in shaping how I think about the Christian life, a life that is built around enjoying intimacy with God. I think about Lydia, uh, one of the women in our church who has become like a, another auntie to, to my kids and has been such a faithful friend to me and Ashley in some of the most dark and difficult uh, seasons uh, of our life. I, I, was, I was thinking this week as we were preparing this about uh, when Ashley and I uh, first got married and I was trying to figure out what it meant to lead her spiritually and the look on her face made it abundantly clear that I was failing miserably. And uh, so I remember meeting with one of the elders in our church uh, and sharing that I was just struggling. I, had no, I didn't know what to do. I had no idea uh, how to do it. And I remember him sitting with me in the cafeteria right here at the Tyson's location and just pouring into my life out of just decades of lessons that he's learned uh, through, throughout his marriage. And I could go on and on, um, but I'm so thankful personally for the ways that God has used this church to help me grow and thrive in my personal life. I was, just, I was thinking similarly about in my own life, uh, this last couple days specifically, the Lord's just brought 
some people from the church I grew up in to my mind and heart in a fresh way. I'm just so thankful for people from all kinds of different perspectives who were investing their lives in my faith. That's what the church is about. So that's what we want to show you in God's word today for us to look at together in Hebrews 10. So there's a ton we could talk about here for hours, but I want to read verses 19 through 25, and I just want you to look as I read through this text for the repetition of two words three times. So three times you're going to see two certain words repeated. So see if you can notice them. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So do you see the two words that are repeated three times? It's the very beginning of verse 22, let us. Beginning of verse 23, let us. Verse 24, and let us. So the author of Hebrews is saying, in light of what Jesus has done in each of our lives individually, let us together as the church do these three things. And when you think about it, these three things summarize how God has designed the church to help you and me together thrive. So you might write these down, just we'll hit them real quick. Think about verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So one, we help each other flourish in faith. We help each other draw near to God. What a statement. Do you want to draw near to God? Then you need other people in your life in the church to do that. You need to be around other people who are drawing near to God in order to help you draw near to God. This is one of the things I pray for every week in my life, for my wife, for my kids. I pray for my kids that they would have friends who would help them flourish in their faith. Don't we all want that for our children, our teenagers? They would have friends who are helping them flourish in faith. Students, prioritize friends who are helping you flourish in your faith. I pray this for Heather, for myself. This is one of the things I pray for the members of this church family, that you would have people in your life, not just from a distance, but up close and personal, who are helping you flourish in your faith. Draw near to God. You are closer to God as a result of being around this person. This is why I've mentioned it before. We're gonna mention it a lot this year, but we're working behind the scenes a ton right now. And it's gonna kick in all the more as we're able to gather more. But we want every single member of this church to be in a church group with people up close and personal who are helping you flourish in your faith, draw near to God. Then there's the second let us, Mike. So the second one is we help each other hold on to hope. And you see that in verse 23. So it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? 
for he who promised is faithful. And the hope mentioned here isn't a, a, like a, a I hope so kind of hope. This isn't wishful thinking. The hope described in the New Testament is confident expectation of future good. So confident expectation of future good. It's living life with a deep assurance that the pain we're feeling or the problem we're facing isn't the end of the story. And here's why that's so important. Because every single one of us is tempted, we're prone to mishandle our hope. You think about how we do that. We're tempted to base our hope on the things of this world, things that will inevitably fail us at some point. And so when, when those things are going well in our life, then our joy and our confidence about the future is high. But when those things break down, then our hope has nothing to stand on. And that's why we're so often tempted then to lose hope altogether. And so we as a church, we have to encourage each other and help each other um, hold on to hope. Listen, hold on to the hope that is held out in God's word. It's, it's a hope that's not based on our circumstances or based on how we feel. It's a hope that's based on the character and promises of an all-powerful and unchanging God. Then there's the last let us in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another on to love and good works. So we help each other flourish in faith, hold on to hope, and then we help each other grow in love and good works. I love this verse. And this is what the church does. We help each other love people better. We stir up each other. What a great image. Stirring up each other to do more good works. We are more loving people doing more good deeds because of the people we're around in the church. Think about this practically. Like, don't you want to be around other husbands who make you a better husband? Or other wives who help you to be a better wife? Don't you be, want to be around other singles who are showing how to maximize singleness for the spread of the gospel and God's glory? Don't you want to be around other teenagers, college students, young adults, senior adults, other people who inspire you to greater love for your neighbor, to more faithfully share the gospel with others. This is so key to you and me thriving. And I would just say exhibit A of this has been all that you as a church have done in this city during this pandemic. I, I cannot say enough about how proud I am of God's grace in this church and you as a church in this way, in a time, think about it. You realize what's happened in a time of such tension in our city and our country over these last almost a year, nine, 10 months, such division, people debating and dividing over everything from masks to politics. What you have done is come together and given millions of dollars and spent thousands of hours side by side packing and distributing food and the gospel to people in need all across our city. In other words, instead of stirring up tension and division and anger in each other's lives, you've stirred up love and good works in each other's lives. Like, yes, this is what we're created to do. This is the church, so let's keep doing it, by the way. Go online and, and sign up to serve and to give, to stir up love and good works in each other. Let's show Metro Washington, D.C. that this is who the church is. This is what the church does. Isn't this an awesome 
beautiful, powerful picture of the church in Hebrews 10. Like a people who are helping each other flourish in faith, hold on to hope in hard times and, and stirring each other up to love and good works. Apparently, the church is not merely a building you come to. You sit with other people in a service and then you walk away until the next week. And the church isn't a service you just turn on the TV or a tablet for and then wait to do it again the next week. The church is a body, a community, literally a family that flourishes in faith and holds on to hope and shows love and good works together, which leads to the question, how? So how can each of us thrive as a part of a church family like this? And God answers that question in his word in ways we might not think. It's interesting. God doesn't tell us to prioritize some of the things we might think of, like a great building or great programs or a slick website or a hip pastor. You laugh because we've clearly not prioritized that, at least on this side of the stage. Mike's a little closer to that cut. Instead, God says, give yourselves together to these things. And we summarize these things here at NBC in 12 traits of a church. And we've said that if we will give ourselves to these things that God has spelled out in his word, then we can trust that God will help us all to thrive in our faith. It's like giving water and sunlight and nutrients to a plant. These simple things will help us cause us to thrive. And if we neglect these things, we will wither. And so you may have some of those other things, like building, programs, website, or hip pastor. But even if you have none of those things, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in Metro Washington, D.C., or the Middle East, as long as you prioritize these 12 things, you can thrive together as part of a church. I say over and over again that my Prayer and goal for every member of this church family is that God would be able to pick up any one of you, any one of us, put you anywhere in the world, and you would know how to be a disciple of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus, and gather together with the church with only his word and his spirit and each other without dependence on anything else. So in the last part of our time today, Mike and I just want to remind us of these 12 traits. You might write them down. Some of you have heard these before. We did a whole <clears throat> series on them a couple of years ago. For some of you, they'll be totally new. Regardless, I want to encourage you to write them down. We're going to hit them quick. I would add, I'm actually starting an online class this Wednesday night that will go for the next 10 weeks. Anyone who wants to join in can be a part. It's at 7 p.m. every Wednesday online. And if you can't get on at that time, you can join in, watch out at another time. It's mclanebible.org slash 12 traits. And whether you've been a member of NBC for decades or you're new to NBC, if you want to know what we are prioritizing as a church for the next 10 weeks, we're going to focus on these 12 traits. Mike and I are just going to give an overview of them here. So Mike, why don't you hit the first one? Yeah, so uh, let's dive into the first trait uh, of a church is biblical evangelism. And now the first mention of the church in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, where Jesus promises to build his church. And like David said, not the church as a building or a Sunday event, but the community, the church as a community of people who are united around this central proclamation 
that Jesus is Lord. And that's the greatest news in the world. And so listen, if you're just exploring Christianity, you have questions, you need to listen in because Jesus is who he claimed to be. The Messiah, God himself, who came to us in human flesh in in order to accomplish what we could not accomplish on our own. He lived and perfectly fulfilled God's commandments so that through faith in him, we could have the righteousness we need in order to be acceptable to God. He died and fully satisfied God's judgment, the judgment that we deserve for our sins so that through faith in him, we could be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead. This is why we celebrate. He rose from the dead, proving that he has ultimate authority and power over Satan's sin and death and promising that one day he's gonna return as the supreme judge and the sovereign king over all of creation. Jesus is Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. The Lord has come and he has accomplished salvation for all those who will receive him by faith. And so just as he did for the early church in Acts 2, Jesus empowers his church today to spread that good news to everybody that we can. This is what makes us a church. We proclaim Jesus is Lord. It's what brings us together, the lordship of Jesus. It's on our lips all throughout our lives. But we don't stop just with the proclamation of Jesus as Lord. Second trait going from that is biblical teaching and preaching. So it's not just proclaiming Jesus as Lord, it's proclaiming all of God's word from cover to cover in the Bible. So this is why we devote a significant amount of our time when we gather to the teaching of this word, because this is how Jesus leads his church according to his word. We'll mention this a little more when we talk about biblical leadership, but one of the necessary competencies of a pastor in the church is that he must be able to teach God's word. And here's why that is. So picture the setup here. Jesus is the leader, the chief shepherd of the church. So how does Jesus lead his church? He entrusts under shepherds, pastors, who teach accurately, faithfully, and completely and only his word. Not their thoughts, not their opinion, their opinions, their ideas, because that would lead a church to become like that pastor. No, they teach Jesus' word, Jesus' thoughts, Jesus' truth, so that the church becomes like Jesus. This is why biblical teaching and preaching is necessary in a church. It's why my, my job, Mike's job, the job of any pastor who teaches in this church is to stand before you and not say what I think or what Mike thinks or what anybody else thinks, but what God thinks. And the only way to know exactly what God thinks is if we see it in his word. That means that Mike or I or anybody else who teaches in the church must be able to show you in God's word anything we call you to believe or do. And if we can't show it to you in God's word, then you should not be listening to us. If we can show it to you in God's word, then we are all accountable for believing and doing what we see. Biblical teaching and preaching. So important, not just in our Sunday gatherings, but in church groups, every other fast of the church. So I'll be talking about this more actually this Wednesday night. Suffice to say, all of our teaching in the church must be totally tethered to God's word. And God's spirit, which leads to the next trait. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about that. I mean, the church really is a movement of God's spirit. And you see that through biblical prayer. And so if you look and you think about the book of Acts, uh, you can't help but notice how often the early church prayed. I mean, they prayed to give thanks to God in their weekly gatherings, to plead for God's help in difficult situations, to seek God's wisdom before making uh, major decisions. They were always praying. And so that's why in Acts 1.14, and if you look at Acts 2.42, Luke uh, describes them as constantly devoting themselves to prayer. I mean, think about that word, devoting themselves to prayer. And God was constantly responding to their prayers. The gospel was spreading. Lives were being transformed. Sick people were being healed. Leaders were being multiplied. New churches were started. As they kept praying, the Holy Spirit kept working. In any and every situation they found themselves in, they knew that they had access to the presence and the power of Almighty God. And listen, so do we. That's why prayer has to be our first response, not our last resort. Yes, as individuals, uh, as we think about our personal lives and our families, but also together as a church family. And so that's why prayer is such a critical part of our vision and strategy in this new chapter together as a church. And so you can read more about our uh, vision on our website at mcclainbible.org slash a new chapter. Some of you have read through that, but at the bottom of that page, you can access our new chapter prayer guide that'll help you pray for our church. We wanna be a church that is characterized by biblical prayer, a church that constantly prays for that which can only be accomplished by God's power and attributed uh, to God's glory. That's good, so that leads to the fourth trait of a church, biblical discipleship. And I want you to see how these all start to fit together. So we come to faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, we learn God's word, we seek God together through prayer, and as these, are these things are happening, we grow as disciples of Jesus who are learning to walk with God. So discipleship is the process by which we are drawing closer and closer to God, becoming more and more like Jesus in our lives. Much like we've already talked about, helping each other flourish in faith, hold on to hope, grow in love and good works. One of my favorite verses along these lines is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, train yourself for godliness. And the word there for train is gymnazo, from which we get gymnasium today. And that's what the church is in a sense. You're, you're coming to, to a gym when you come to a gathering of the church or a church group a place for training disciples of Jesus. You don't go to a gym just to sit and watch. You go to a gym to get stronger. That's what biblical discipleship is all about. Our gatherings, church groups, other ministries designed to be like gymnasiums, strengthening each other's faith as members of a body who belong to each other. That leads to the next trait. Biblical membership. So a church should be, and listen, a church should be, and we, we strive to be a community that's warm and welcoming to all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and beliefs. But the actual members of a church are those who've made a commitment to follow Jesus together as a church family. Church members are made up of people who give credible evidence of repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they commit to gathering 
together on a regular basis in order to be the body of Christ to one another. And so becoming a member of a church is so important because God wants every Christian to be known and cared for by church members and by local leaders. Which leads leads to number six, biblical leadership. So I mentioned this briefly already when we were talking about biblical, biblical teaching and preaching, but God has designed leaders in the church to help us in all these ways, to help us flourish in faith, hold on to hope, stir one another up to love and good works. So the Bible recognizes two types of leaders in the church. The first is pastors or elders or overseers. Those are actually interchangeable terms you see at different times in the Bible. And God sets these pastors, elders, overseers up to be models of Jesus' character and to teach his word as they love and lead and serve and shepherd the church. The picture of a shepherd means they nourish and cherish and guard and protect God's people as overseers in the church with a humble authority to lead church members to be more like Jesus, to lead them lovingly, responsibility, accountability for serving church members faithfully. And then God calls deacons to support pastors and meet needs among God's people. Clearest picture, place where we see both those alongside each other in scripture is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. There's a ton more we can talk about here. Again, more coming in this class if you want to join in that. But I think we all realize that biblical leadership is critical in a church. Like if the church is led by people who are not walking with Jesus, we're not teaching or leading according to God's word, then that church will inevitably go astray. So I would ask you to please, please pray for leaders in this church, whether Mike, myself, Wade, location pastors, so many others, staff, elders, leaders across the church that we would love Jesus, serve the church well with wisdom according to God's word. Speaking of praying for each other along those lines, that actually leads to the next trait. So biblical fellowship. Uh, sometimes, and let's just be honest, like sometimes the church, churches can kind of feel like movie theaters, right? Where we gather for the same event. We enjoy the same experience. We might even give kind of cordial hellos on our way in and out. But listen to how the Bible describes what relationships should be like in the local church. So there's over 51 another's throughout the New Testament, but listen to some of these members of the church, love each other, encourage one another, build each other up. They care for one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens. They're kind to one another. Like even in heavy, divisive seasons, they forgive each other. They confess their sins to one another. They teach, admonish, and exhort one another with the word of God. Romans 12.10 summarizes it all by saying church members should be devoted to one another. So God wants us to be involved in each other's lives and to know each other well enough to help each other grow. And so I was talking to one of our group leaders this week, and uh, their group uh, all met together to determine who and what they wanted to be as a group And they committed to being all in together as as a church family. And so even during the pandemic, they've continued to meet over Zoom or in driveways, just trying to stay faithful to the commitment that they made to really be biblical family uh, to each other. And so two young adults in their group, Alex and Sophie, are getting married soon. And due to the pandemic, the group couldn't celebrate in person. 
So last week, they had a Zoom celebration uh, together. And we'll show you a picture here. You can see Alex and Sophie at the, at the top, like center box there. And uh, so they all dressed up, uh, lit candles, decorated their Zoom screens. They all brought their own uh, sparkling cider to their Zoom call. Uh, and, uh, and so they, they toasted this, this engaged couple. And each member, listen, each group member came prepared to share scripture or a prayer with the couple. And after everybody had shared in the group, prayed over them, Alex shared, just overwhelmed with emotion in that moment, he shared that this was the first time in their lives that they had experienced true biblical family in a local church. Let me ask you, do you have these kinds of relationships in your local church, like family-like relationships in your church? We may not be able to have that kind of relationship with every member in the church, but every member in the church should have those kinds of relationships with at least some members in the church. Like this is what we long for, for every member of this body. And for those who are listening in from beyond Metro Washington, D.C., or uh, yeah, for, for you to experience this in a body. Now, related to this would be the next trait, uh, biblical accountability and discipline. Now, when we hear this one, it might sound a little hard because I think this is one of the most misunderstood traits of a church in the Bible and oftentimes ignored, which is sad because it's one of the ways we most clearly show God's love as the church. So the picture here is when we see someone else in the church entangled in sin or walking in disobedience to God. What we're saying is here, here is that we love that brother or sister enough to go to them. First one-on-one. If that doesn't work with a couple of people, Jesus outlines a process for this in Matthew chapter 18. Eventually, others in the church, if needed, to help that person keep from walking away from Jesus. Whenever I think about accountability and discipline like this, I think I want, I need this in my life. If I'm doing something that doesn't honor Jesus or doesn't honor my wife or my kids or whoever, then I want, I need people in my life who won't just say, well, that's your problem and leave me to myself and my sin. If I'm headed toward a cliff, I want somebody to love me enough to say to me, stop and pull me back. I'm so thankful for even how Mike does this in my life and others. And this is what biblical accountability and discipline is. God has designed us to thrive through loving, humble pursuit of each other when we're caught in sin or we need restoration to intimacy with Jesus. That's what biblical accountability and discipline are all about. All right, four more. So biblical worship. Uh, And this is what we're gathered to do now, whether you're sitting in this room at one of our locations, you're watching online uh, with your friends or family, biblical worship. And so listen, God, God is better than anything in the universe, like absolutely better. He's the creator who has ultimate power and authority over all of creation. And he's the source and the sustainer of everything that we enjoy. And even though, listen, even though we deserve to be crushed by his greatness and cut off from his goodness. He loved us so much 
that he made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins so that we could enjoy eternal life with him. And so when you truly understand who God is and what God has done for us, then worship becomes not just a religious routine. It becomes our, our most reasonable response. It's the joy of our lives. Worship is our humble and joyful response to the goodness and the greatness of God. And that's why churches prioritize gathering together in corporate worship, not just because God commands it, which he does, but because we are people who are eager to express our praise and enjoy God's presence together. And we don't just worship him in whatever ways we want. We worship him in the ways he wants. So that includes singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that are saturated with biblical truth. It's worship that includes the public reading of scripture, the testimonies of God's people, prayer and fasting. And all of the church's worship aims to glorify God and edify his people. And listen to me, you need this in your life. And not just online. There's something about physically gathering with people who are filled with God's spirit, hearing each other singing and praising God, seeing each other's faces and being reminded that we're not alone as we follow Jesus, encouraging each other with our amens and hallelujahs, even if it's in the chat online during a pandemic. And speaking of a pandemic, listen, as soon as you feel safe, even if you're watching online during this season, I want to encourage you to make physically gathering in corporate worship a top priority in your life. Related to biblical worship are biblical ordinances. So it's interesting. Think about how God has designed two specific ordinances or actions that we do in our worship to help us thrive. One is the Lord's Supper which I eagerly look forward to doing again as a church. We've not been doing just because of the uh, sanitation concerns with passing cups and bread and that sorts of things. But when we come together for worship, God tells us, take a piece of bread and remember the body of Jesus given for our sins. Drink from a cup to remember the blood of Jesus given for our sins. And as we do this, as we reflect on our sins, our salvation, his sustenance in our lives, the promise of his return for us, and we're gonna gather around a table with all of God's church and feast forever on his goodness, this physical activity is critical to us spiritually thriving. And then there's baptism. When Jesus calls every member of the church to a picture of faith in him, to be immersed in water, identifying with Jesus in his Death, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we're starting to do baptisms again. We actually have uh, baptism. We'll be celebrating it in the end of our, our, our next service. So if you're a new follower of Jesus, or if you're a follower of Jesus who's never been baptized, I invite you to do that, even as we look forward to, Lord willing, getting back together eventually where we're able to baptize people on a weekly basis as people come to faith in Jesus. The point is, these are practices we do as the church. We don't baptize on our own. We don't take the Lord's Supper on our own. We do these things together in ways that help us thrive as the church. All right, last two, by no means the least two. Yeah, so biblical uh, giving is the next trait 
And uh, God is so generous and abundantly gracious toward us in ways that not only meet our spiritual needs, but also our, our physical needs. And so 1 Timothy 6, 17 reminds us that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he, he's the source. He's the ultimate owner of, of all the resources that we've been blessed with. And so as recipients of his generosity, we have a responsibility and we have an amazing opportunity to use the resources he's given us in ways that bless others and serve his kingdom purposes. And so this is why we as, as followers of Jesus, we give our money, our time and other resources to and through the local church. So members of the church give of their resources freely and joyfully in order to support those who teach them the word in a variety of ways across the church, to help cover the expenses of the church, to provide relief for the poor, and to advance the gospel around the world. And so as we seek and surrender to God's leadership, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, we, each one of us, right, we must give, here's what scripture says, as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just as a reminder, uh, the primary way that we are giving during this season especially is online at mclanebible.org give. And I want to report to you that as we have, are st- still bring in those final numbers from last year, you gave over and above in such a way that we ended the year with a significant surplus, which is all glory to God for instilling that generous heart in you. I praise God for your generosity. And we're able as a church together to thrive through that kind of giving. The picture here is God has also designed you individually to thrive as you give. It's a pretty clear biblical picture that if you keep your resources to yourself, you will wither Physically giving is a part of spiritually thriving. Leads to the last trait. This will actually set the stage for our time together next week. So listen real closely here. Biblical mission. So here's the deal. Every week as the church, we close our gatherings with saying the great commission to one another, right? Go and make disciples. And this is something we do right where we live, right? We share the gospel right here in the city. At the same time, Jesus didn't just say, go and make disciples right where you live. He said, go and make disciples where? Of all nations. And the word he uses for nations there is ethne, referring to all the ethnic groups in the world, which means that we as a church, if we're gonna be obedient to what we say to each other every week, must spread the gospel, not just right where we live, but far from where we live particularly in places where the gospel hasn't gone. And we do that in different ways, through our praying, through our giving, we were just talking about, and through our going, sometimes on short-term trips to other places. And follow this, in any healthy biblical church, God will continually call some people to move to other places for the spread of the gospel, specifically where the gospel hasn't gone. It's what happens in Acts chapter 13, verse one through three. The church at Antioch is worshiping and fasting and praying and the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And specifically that work was taking the gospel to places where it hadn't gone. And Acts 13 says, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
And this is a picture that we want to be accurately seen at NBC, especially when you consider the situation today. Right now, there are approximately 3 billion people in the world and over 7,000 ethnic groups who have little to no access to the gospel. In other words, they don't even know the truth about Jesus. It's not that they've heard the truth about Jesus and have rejected him. They've never even heard the truth about him. So let me ask you a question, just kind of simple reason and logic. If there are three billion people in the world and over 7,000 ethnic groups who haven't heard the gospel, and there are thousands of us with the gospel as part of this church, do you think it's possible that God by his spirit is calling some of us to take the gospel to them? It seems not just possible, but probable, right? When you consider how much God loves all three billion of those people, how Jesus died to bring salvation to every one of those people groups. So next Sunday, at the end of this month of prayer and fasting together as a church, we're gonna have an Acts 13-like day. And we're asking God specifically next Sunday to set apart some from among us, from NBC, to go to those who have not yet heard the gospel, the unreached. So here's what I wanna ask every single follower of Jesus within the sound of my voice to do this week. I wanna ask you to pray this week in preparation for our time together next Sunday to pray, God, I will go if you want me to go. That's all I'm asking for each of us to lay our lives, our families down before God in a fresh way this week and say, God, I will go if you want me to go. I'm gonna be praying this. My family's gonna be praying this. Mike and his family are gonna be praying this. We're all gonna pray this together. Maybe even set aside a day to fast. And together we're gonna ask God, who among us are you sending out? And then see how he answers. Then don't miss being a part of worship next week. Don't skip next week because you're afraid he might say you're supposed to go. You would miss the whole point of everything we're trying to do here. So let's just come together next Sunday in anticipation of God doing Acts 13 among us, among any one of us. This is biblical mission. And according to God, we will not thrive as a church if we are ignoring three billion people who've never heard the gospel. If we're not sending people out to take the gospel where it hasn't gone. So, all right, Mike, any closing thoughts as we think about how God has designed us to thrive yeah. as a church? Yeah, I, I was thinking uh, about my uh, college days when I first started seriously uh, following Jesus. And you're a college student, you're a high school student. I really want you to lean in and, and listen because I bought into something that I think many of us, to be honest, are tempted to buy into. And it's this idea that I could, uh, when I first started seriously following Jesus, like I thought that I could, I could genuinely follow Jesus but completely ignore the local church. In fact, I thought the church was so outdated, so disappointing, so boring, that I actually thought that, that investing in the local church would hinder me from thriving 
in a passionate relationship with God. But in my early 20s, God began to show me how he sees the church, how he feels about the church, even with all of its flaws. Because listen, this is the community that God himself has made a covenant commitment to. And Jesus didn't just die in order to bring people to God. Jesus died and rose from the grave in order to bring people together into this supernatural, eternal family that puts his grace and glory on display. And so we aren't perfect. And sometimes not only do we get disappointed in the church, but Jesus himself gets disappointed in the church. And yet he has not and will not give up on us. Like he is at work by his spirit, forming us into a family that brings more and more glory to him. And one day our local church family will stand together with that great multitude in Revelation 7, a multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And listen, that's our prayer for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. Listen, our ultimate goal is not to get you to join our church here on earth. Like our goal, our passion is that you would one day be able to stand with that church in heaven. That instead of meeting God face to face as your judge, you through faith in Jesus would meet God face to face as your savior. And so we want to invite you today, even in a sermon about the church, it's a, it's a sermon about what Jesus has done to purify a people for himself, to wash their sins clean by his sacrifice, his blood shed on the cross and, and, and his resurrection from the grave. It's not ultimately about the church. It's what Jesus has done for each one of us in bringing us together as the church. And this is what he wants to do in your life. And so we want to give you an opportunity even today if you've sensed God stirring and working in your heart. And maybe you still have questions, but you know, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know that God has been drawing you and calling you. You know that you've been at the point where you've said, I, I want to follow Jesus. I know I need to surrender my life. I know I need to turn from my sin. And I believe the gospel. I want to encourage you today to put your trust in Jesus. So David's going to lead us to just close this time in prayer, and I want to encourage you, even as he leads us in prayer, to express your own faith to God in putting your, your trust in Jesus. David, why don't you lead us, man? Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask every single person in this room, online, in light of where Mike just landed, like, are you in Jesus? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will be around that throne that day praising him as Lord of your life? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I just want to invite you right now to pray. 
to make this the day when you confess Jesus as Lord, just to say to God, God, I know that I have sinned against you, but today I confess that Jesus has died on the cross for my sins, and he is Lord of my life. Today I trust you with my life. Today I become a part of your church, your people, who are confessing you as Lord. Even amidst questions I may still have, I know this. I trust in you. Oh God, I pray that you would give life to that kind of faith today in this room and so many other rooms and so many other places that you would expand your church today and then, God, for us, as this expression of your church, this MVC family, God, we pray that you'd help us to become more and more the church you've designed us to be. God, we pray that you'd help each of us to thrive in our lives through our church being all these things, being faithful in all these traits Help us, we pray, to help each other flourish in faith and hold on to hope and to grow in love and good works in the world around us so that the world might know that you are God, you are good, and you, Jesus, are Savior, Lord, and King of Kings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's a clear command and a monumental charge from Jesus. Yet what if, despite our best intentions and sincerest efforts as the church to obey Jesus, we are actually ignoring what he said? At best, what if we have misunderstood him? And what if much of our efforts are unknowingly keeping millions upon millions of people around the world from eternal life? Well, unlike any Secret Church event that we have ever done, Secret Church 21 is designed to be a groundbreaking journey through God's Word and a look around the globe that we believe will lead to a tectonic shift in the way that you view your life, your family, and God's design of the church. We are inviting you to join us for Secret Church 21, The Great Imbalance. Registration is open right now, so join us and live stream Secret Church 21 from anywhere in the world on April 23rd. You can register or learn more at secretchurch.org. You don't want to miss this important night. Well, that's all for today's episode of Radical with David Platt. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us at radical.net.